The Bible ends where it begins. Kind of. (laughs) I mean, you know, the Bible ends where it begins in a way. I mean, mean, it's not as if... um, the previous 65 books of the canon accomplish nothing or, or contribute nothing or, or we end in the same location as in the beginning. But the Bible ends where it begins. Sort of. Now, I mean, we can see a lengthy progression that occurs. I mean, we can see it. it's obvious. I mean, from Abraham to Moses to, to, you know, Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, John the Baptist, Judas the betrayer, Peter the denier, Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, we've covered a lot of terrain. We've covered a lot of ground, both geographically and theologically. <laughs> but I stand by my statement. The Bible ends where it begins. Sort of. In Revelation 21, in Revelation 22, you know, after after the seals have been broken and after the trumpets have sounded and, and after the bowls have been emptied, after Satan and the two beasts as well as Babylon have been judged, the voice of God of heirs, come now. The dwelling of God is with humanity. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. With one motion of his voice, the effects of Genesis 3 evaporate. I mean, there's no more weeping, there's no more grief, there's no more pain, there's no more death. For the old order of things has passed away. And as abrupt as it is expected... In Revelation 22, we find ourselves in a garden, peering at the enticing fruit of a tree. It's a tree unseen since Adam and Eve forfeit their right and ours to eat from it. It's a tree that Revelation 22 says produces 12 types of fruit each month. It's a tree no longer protected with the cherubim's flaming sword. No, no, no. Because here, at the end of the Bible... We have access to the same tree we encountered in the beginning. The tree of life. And so, the Bible ends where it begins. In a garden with the tree of life. But here's the problem. The problem is life is lived not in the shade of Eden's tree, not under the leaves of healing in the New Jerusalem. Life is lived between these two trees. And life between these two trees, oh my, life between these two trees, is hard. I I mean, life between these two trees... I mean, between these two trees, humanity wrestles with God, both marring and embracing his image. Between these two trees, our lives are woven into a tapestry of struggle. Between these two trees, murder is confused with heroism. 
between these two trees, oppression is labeled peace. Between these two trees, restraint is mocked, gentleness disparaged, and love twisted. Between these two trees, the poor are maligned, while the rich are adored. Between these two trees, the prophets are silenced, while the profane are revered. Between these two trees, the adulterous are the ones that are esteemed, while the saints of God are assailed. Oh, life between these two trees is hard. Because between these two trees, kids are a commodity, women are property, and my goodness, race is used as justification for abject savagery. Between these two trees, despair is humanity's native tongue. And agony has become our anthem. Between these two trees, life is hard. And yet it's between these two trees... That on the island of Patmos, the Apostle John takes a pen and he begins to write a letter. Write a letter to a community of Christians that are struggling with internal strife in the Roman Empire. A Christian community that is, that is enticed with compromise. A Christian community that is immersed in conflict. A Christian community that is desperate for a revelation. This morning, we begin a six-week series, wait for it, on the book of Revelation. (laughs) Okay, there's like two people cheering. (laughs) No, this morning we begin a series on the book of Revelation called Overcome. And so this is what I want to do this morning. I I just want to sit down and I want us to reflect and, and I want us to confess This morning, I just want to take time to sit down, reflect, and confess. You know, over the past year, um, in my study of Revelation, one thing has been beaten into my head over and over and over. And it's the simple message. And, and, And it's not as if I've never seen it before, but this past year, I can't get away from it. And the message is this. Humanity has a listening problem. Like over and over and over in the book of Revelation, it seems to indicate that humanity has a listening problem. Now don't get me wrong, the book of Revelation, it attacks every one of our senses, not just hearing. I mean, it is confronting and overwhelming every one of our senses. I mean, the sense of touch in the book of Revelation... It comes up in 29 different passages. The sense of taste with five different words appears in 19 different passages. The sense of sight, nine different words and over 129 different passages. By my count, there is over one reference to one of our senses in every single verse of the book of Revelation. I mean, it just attacks our senses. Overwhelms and confronts our senses. But there is something unique that Revelation is constantly saying about our inability to listen. The book of Revelation invokes the auditory sense with 15 different words in over 270 different passages. 
I mean, my goodness, it's like, it's like a, a chorus of a worship song that just won't end. It just says it over and over and over and over again. Humanity has a listening problem. <laughs> it's the reason why all seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 have the same statement said to them. All seven churches. Revelation 2, 7, 2, 11, 2, 17, 2, 29, 3, 6, 3, 13, 3, 22, Ephesus to Laodicea. All seven, same statement. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why? Why all seven? Because humanity has a listening problem. That's why it, it, it shouldn't shock me, although it kind of did, that the third verse in the first chapter of Revelation, three verses in, we get our first of seven blessings in the book of Revelation. But this first blessing seems to focus on our inability to listen. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, And obey what is written in it. I mean over and over and over the book of Revelation screams. Hey humanity. We have a listening problem. Now it's it's not as if we develop this listening problem. In the last book of the Bible. I mean mean, my goodness. Just look at the churches that Paul is writing to. I mean my. Hello. Listening problem. Or, Or the disciples in the gospels. I mean, they've got a listening problem. Or the whole Old Testament. I mean, like the kings or the judges or the patriarchs. Listening problem, listening problem, listening problem. Even in the Garden of Eden, which is shocking to me. I mean, you would think in the Garden of Eden that they would be able to hear God clearly. And yet when you get to Genesis chapter 3, what do we have? Oh, no, it's just your run-of-the-mill listening problem. Genesis 3, chapter one, or chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, hey, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Answer is, no, that's not what God said, actually. We know what God said. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 tells us, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You see, God didn't say you can't eat from any tree. That's not what he said. He said, no, actually, you can eat from any tree, just not that one. That's what he said. Now, we, we don't, we don't do that, do we? You know, take, take the words of God and like a wily serpent, Twist them to meet our agendas. We don't... No, of course not. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 2. Eve responds. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Good, Eve. That's, that's what God said. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Good. That's, that's true too. And you must not touch it. Or you will die. Okay, um... That's new. Uh, you, uh, you know, you must not touch it or you will die. That, that's a little new. Now, we don't do that, do we? 
you know, add rules to like the definition of the word Christian, trying to make a hedge around God's law, hoping maybe this time legalism will lead to holiness. Nah, of course not. Uh, the, the narrative continues, and the serpent, considering equality with God something to be grasped, tempts us, and we take the fruit. Uh, it, it tempts us, And we take the fruit. The narrative continues in verses 4 through 6. And and actually in John Milton's book, Paradise Lost, a 1667 masterpiece, he powerfully portrays Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. Where we take the fruit and we eat it. And he does it in haunting poetry. He says... So saying, her rash hand in evil hour, forth reaching to the fruit she plucked, she ate. Earth felt the wound, and nature from her seat, sighing through all her works, gave signs of woe that all was lost. You know, I, I don't think it's an accident that the Bible ends where it begins. In a garden, staring at the tree of life. Why? Well, because it's in Genesis 3 in the garden where we first forgot how to listen. And, and, and the reality is, is humanity has a listening problem. I mean, in this world caught between two trees... In this world that seems to be increasing in its pace and in its impatience, I think it's important that we start off this series by just sitting back and confessing this truth. We have a listening problem. In this world, in our church, in this room, we have a listening problem. We have forgotten how to hear the words of God being whispered to us. We've forgotten how to hear and respond to the word of God being screamed at us. We've forgotten how to hear and listen to his gracious revelation. I mean, my goodness, the stuff we do to the book of Revelation... I mean, if Revelation was one of our children, we would have child services at our door. I mean, whether through neglect or abuse, we just tear this book to shreds. You know, half of the church is absolutely obsessed with this book. With all their prophecy charts and and so-called prophecy experts, just obsessed with the book. The other half of the church completely ignores the book. Just consiling it into canonical exile. Just, Just keep it away. I mean, sometimes the crispest pages in people's Bible are the book of Revelation. But let me just say this. Both extremes, both extremes are just different forms of not listening. Both extremes are just different forms of not listening, which is really frustrating to me. Because over the last 16 years of studying this book, 
I have become convinced that the book of Revelation is exactly what the church needs. But it is precisely what the church cannot hear. I believe it is exactly what the church needs, but it is precisely what the church cannot hear. Because when it comes to the book of Revelation, let's be honest, we have a listening problem. And And over the past six weeks, I've realized I'm no different. Which bothers me. Um, That when it comes to the book of Revelation, I've had a listening problem. Which frustrates me. I mean, I have read the book of Revelation more times than I've run a mile. I mean, I have read hundreds of thousands of pages of commentaries and journal articles and monographs on this book. I've written hundreds and hundreds of pages on this book. I have meditated on Revelation in more ways than I can count. That if you pulled all of Revelation out of me, I'm not sure I could stand up. And yet over the past six weeks, I've realized that when it comes to this book, I've had a significant hearing problem. My my brother and I, Jordan, um, recently we decided to to take up a project of, uh, of translating this book on the apocalypse from German into English. It's about 900 pages, which I know sounds crazy, but, but trust me, trust me, it, um, I mean, it gets crazier. Um, uh, This book was dictated by a modern mystic known as Adrienne von Speer. And she dictates this book to one of the most influential Catholic theologians of the 20th century named Hans Urs von Balthasar. And, And there's many, many things that intrigue me about this book. But chiefly among them is this. This is a commentary written from mystical visions while meditating on the visions of Revelation. Crazy, right? Some of you are like, Shane, you sound crazy. I mean, what, what, you believe in visions? Um, the whole book of Revelation is a vision. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, I was really excited. <laughs> thought I'd throw that out there. So I was really excited to start translating this. I'm, I'm like, oh my goodness, what could be in here? So we, we translated the preface, and then finally we get to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And I translate the first sentence, and I was shocked. This is, this is how it starts. This is, this is the mystical insights of Adrian von Speer. This is how it begins. The apocalypse is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I was like... Wow, that's it? Like that, that's what all of your mystical visions have revealed to us? You basically just restated the first five words of Revelation 1-1, which says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, I was bummed. I was like, come on, I was hoping for more than that. Ah, and then it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, I've had a listening problem. 
I mean, I don't know how many times I've looked at Revelation 1 and I've overlooked this simple truth. I've overlooked this profound mystery. Somehow I've overlooked the first five words of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I I don't know how I missed it. I don't know how I didn't hear it. I mean, normally whenever I come to Revelation 1 and I'm teaching on it, I read the first couple of verses, but then usually I beeline it to Revelation 1-3 and I talk about how prophecy is more than just prediction. It is about persuading and prosecuting a rebellious people. Or then I'll skip down to verse 9 and I'll talk about the relationships between the Roman Empire and the Christians and the time of Domitian's reign and how sometimes it ended in exile on an island called Patmos and sometimes it ended even worse. Or I would go to verses 12 through 16 and I would talk about how the cosmic Christ that appears to Jesus is this incredible conflation of the Ancient of Days and the One like the Son of Man in Daniel 7. And I just give a cursory look at the first five words of the entire book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, it is it is so easy to forget when you're reading the book of Revelation that what this is is a revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, shoot, it can be easy to forget that when you're reading the letters of Paul. Or when you're reading the Gospels. Or as Revelation tries to scream at us with over 516 allusions and 404 verses, whenever you're reading the entire Old Testament, it is all a revelation of Jesus Christ. Who, as John 1 reminds us, verse 18, that Jesus Christ exegetes God. Or as Hebrews 1 reminds us, he is the exact representation of God's being. Or as Colossians 1 reminds us, he is the image of the invisible God. The apocalypse is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The question is, are we listening? The question is, are we paying attention? The question is, are we getting lost and looking for something more? Or are we listening to what the words are screaming out at us? You know, in the past, I've been tempted. I've fallen into the temptation of arguing that the problem in the church with Revelation is we've made it too complicated. With all of our literal versus figurative debates and all of our prophecy charts ridiculousness. We've just made it too complicated. And so I set it out as my goal to simplify revelation. But this morning I challenge that. I do not believe that we have made revelation too complicated. I believe we've made it too shallow. Because if this is the revelation of Jesus Christ... The revelation of Jesus Christ threatens to take us to the depths of the ocean of God. It threatens to flood us with a love that is so ferocious and so tenacious that it will consume us while it tries to preserve us by uniting us to the true us that is only found in Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ... The question is, are we listening? The question is, can we hear? 
You see, the most amazing thing I find in the book of Revelation, whenever I start to see it as a revelation of Jesus Christ, it becomes a hermeneutic that doesn't just reveal who he is. It simultaneously reveals who we are in him. Which frankly can be quite terrifying. If we start to understand that revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, it reveals who he is and at the same time who we are in him. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, who you worship, you become. Who you worship, you become. Uh, So for example, take Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Now it declares who Jesus is. It gives us his identity. It says Jesus Christ... Who is the faithful witness? That's alluding to the cross. Matter of fact, the Greek word for witness there is where we get the English word martyr. It is, he is the faithful witness alluding to the cross. The firstborn from the dead alluding to his resurrection. And the ruler of the kings of the earth alluding to his ascension. I mean, Revelation 1, 5 through 6, it identifies who Jesus is, but it doesn't, doesn't stop there. It extends to reveal who we are. To him who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. Did you hear that? We are royalty because through the cross, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus is king. We are priests because through the cross, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ is startling because it reveals who he is and simultaneously reveals who we are in him. Because in the book of Revelation, who you worship, you become. Like Revelation chapter 5. Jesus is revealed in verse 6 as a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And then heaven explodes in worship in verses 9 and following. And it cries out once again who he is. You were slain. You are the slain lamb, Jesus. And so who are we? And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. And to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The revelation of Jesus Christ doesn't just reveal who he is. It simultaneously reveals who we are. And that's terrifying. I mean many of us in this room understand that the most terrifying thing that anybody can possibly do is expose us for who we truly are. Which is the reason why we run away from vulnerability. Or why we try to cover ourselves and our shame and and just avoid exposure at all costs. But our fig leaves always give us away. And if you listen really carefully, you hear the revelation of Jesus Christ whispering the question from Eden. Where are you? O bearer of my image, can you hear me? Where are you? If this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, then honestly the message starts to become painfully clear. 
We must walk as Jesus walked. I mean, if, if this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the message becomes pretty clear. We must become the body of Christ. We must become the hands and feet of Jesus. We must deny ourselves, take up our crosses. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, who you worship, you become. And guess what, Christians? We worship a crucified king. We worship a crucified king. You see, the book of Revelation ends where the Bible begins... Because the book of Revelation is a completion of an unfinished creation. Yes, Eden. But more importantly, you. Revelation's target is you. The new creation that Christ longs to create inside of you. The question though that we have to ask at the beginning of the series is, are we listening? Because I promise you, your soul, your soul is crying out, longing for a new beginning. But are we listening? Your soul is crying out for a new creation, but, but, but are we listening? I mean, your soul is desperate for the revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation that cries out and proclaims that you are able to overcome... When you become like the one you worship. Or as Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 sings it. They overcame the dragon by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of the testimony of the saints. For they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The question is, is are we listening? You see the sermon ends... Where it begin? I mean, kind of. It begins in a garden, and we are ending in a garden, staring at the tree of life. It's just, it's just, it's just not the one in the beginning of the Bible. And it's not the one at the end of the Bible. No, we are ending in a garden with the tree of life that stands in the center of the Bible. The garden of Gethsemane and the cross of Calvary. The true tree of life. Because the book of Revelation is screaming out to those of us living in between two trees saying this. The only way you overcome is by clinging to the tree of life in the center of the story. And all we need to do, all we need to do is learn how to listen. Listen. 